You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Scammers are known to have what I I like to call a 100% swipe rate, meaning they are matching with 100% of whoever they can. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. we got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, my conversation with Jane Lee. She is trust and safety architect at a company called SIFT, And she's here to explain the scammer's practice of pig butchering. All right, Joe, before we dig into our stories this week, we've got some follow-up here. Yes, we do. Uh, I'm going to kick things off with a kind letter I got from a listener named Jason, (laughs) who is, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, is from the UK. The UK. (laughs) If you remember last week's episode, uh, (laughs) we did a little bit of teasing about mom and mom and American English and British English and all yes. that sort of stuff. and Keeping with the well-deserved, ugly American stereotype. That's right. That's right. Which is our, our obligation to maintain around right. the world. It's our gift to the world, right? <laughs> that's right. Our being boorish and loud right. whenever we travel. That is what we bring to the world. That's right. All right. And you should be happy about that. That's right. That's, that's right. They, sh- they should. I don't know why they don't appreciate it more than they do. I don't mean either, dude. <laughs> Ingrates, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So anyway, Jason writes and he says, I've been listening to the show for many years and I'm a big fan. Thank you for bringing good information to everyone so they may better protect themselves from malicious actors. Well, thank you very much, Jason. I don't in any way feel as though you're buttering me up. (laughs) (laughs) He then goes on to write, I'm sure you'll get a few responses on the topic of mum versus mom. If we take a look at the spread of the British Commonwealth, you'll find that there are more speakers in the world of British English than those who speak American English. British English speakers are in India, 1.4 billion, South Africa, 58 million, Australia, 20 million, and New Zealand, 5 million, whereas American English seems to be confined to North America, the U.S. with 331 million, and Canada with 38 million. Hmm. We could also dig into which countries learn which dialect of English, but I think that wouldn't matter too much and we'd just be splitting hairs at this point. (laughs) Yeah, who wants to split hairs, Jason? (laughs) So he says, anyway... Keep up the good work, and thanks for quality podcasts. And he goes on to write, P.S. As someone from the U.S. actually invented aluminum, I'll agree that the American pronunciation is probably the most correct. However, if we take numbers into account again, more people in the world use aluminum, and those numbers are overwhelmingly larger than numbers in the U.S. When in the U.S., <laughs> use the proper pronunciation, and anywhere else, use whatever makes you happy. <laughs> Jason, I love this email. It's great. <laughs> Thank you for saying this. I, 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 my favorite part is how Jason just begrudgingly admits that we might have him on, on aluminum. aluminum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, points out that many more people say alum- aluminum. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, Jason, thank you for the kind note. I do appreciate it. As, as Joe stated, I think uh, last week, I know I certainly was kind of intentionally playing off of the ignorant American stereotype. Uh, <laughs> right. So We like to do that here. Yeah, we do. So thanks for writing in. We do appreciate it. It's a good letter. Uh, Thank you, Jason. We would love to hear from you. If you have something you'd like us to consider for the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. 
Joe, we got another little bit of a quick follow-up here. What do you want to share with us this week? This is a personal story for me, Dave. Mm. Uh, My wife and I have cell phones, and we have been with the same carrier for a number of years, and we've been going through the process of uh, buying new phones and just pulling the SIM card out of the old phone, putting it into the new phone. And we've been doing that for about six years. Well, our SIM cards have become outdated. Oh. And we were starting to have problems making calls and receiving calls. Oh. Like every time she'd call me, my phone would not ring. Uh, my wife is the only person that calls me, really. She fell for that story, did, did she? <laughs> my phone didn't ring. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, honey. So I, I actually called the, uh, I got concerned enough, I called, the, uh, called the, the provider and said, hey, my phone's not ringing when somebody calls me. And he goes, well, I'm looking at your stuff there. You've got an old SIM card. We're going mm-hmm. to send you out two new SIM cards. Okay. So I had to do a SIM swap on my phone. Mm. Dave, it was remarkably easy to do. Okay. Uh, it was, I would say it's a fairly secure process. Uh, the, I have a pin with my mobile provider. Right. So when I call them and I say, I want to do a SIM swap, they go, first enter your pin. So I enter the pin. Uh, and then they say, we're going to send you a text message Enter the code from that text message. Hmm. The process to do this was completely automated. I never talked to a single human being during the process. Hmm. And while waiting for the text message or while while trying to enter the text message, moving around my phone, the automated system said, if you need more time, say, wait a minute. Right? Huh. So if I didn't have a pin on my phone and somebody else wanted to SIM swap me mm-hmm. and they were... Uh, Trying to trying to get that code from me, they would just have to say, wait a minute, while they tried to do some social engineering trick to get the code from me to SIM swap me. I see. Mm-hmm. So I, I cannot impress enough upon everybody how important it is to put a pin on your mobile carrier uh, tech support, on your mobile carrier account. Yeah. Right. That's the word I'm looking for, account. So that whenever they do uh, tech support, you have to have that pin first. Right. That's very important. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I am, I'm upgrading soon uh, to a new phone that'll have an eSIM. An eSIM? So, yeah. So, no hardware SIM anymore. The new iPhones are, it's all electronic. Huh. So, it's a, it's a brave new world, Joe. I don't, know, right. I don't know what I'm in for, but... <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> Got no choice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I'm using my, uh, my Google Pixel 6, mm-hmm. uh, just the standard Pixel 6. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Overall, I'm not impressed with the with the phone. I don't think this is a flagship phone, David. It's just not. Okay. I didn't get the Pro though. Maybe I should have spent the extra couple hundred bucks and gotten the Pro. Who knows? Yeah. Well, maybe then I'd be happy, but next probably time. not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our stories uh, this week. I'm going to kick things off for us. I actually have two stories this week because okay. they're short. Okay. Uh, starting off with uh, a series of tweets from Larry Cash Dollar. Uh, I don't know that Larry's been a guest on this show, but he's uh, a regular over on the CyberWire, and he's been my guest a number of times on our Research Saturday show. Okay. Uh, Well-respected cybersecurity guy, uh, does a lot of research, uh, always pleasure to have him on. Uh, He shared a series of text messages. He was selling a desk on Facebook Mm -hmm. uh, using Facebook Marketplace, and someone sent him a message uh, asking him if the desk was still available. And he said, hello, the desk is still available. And then they said, okay, I send a voice code. If the post is real, show me code. Then I'll call. The code is six digits. Check your phone message and show. Please give me code. So Larry, being a security 
right. person said, sorry, no, you're a con artist. Yeah. <laughs> so you're using my cell phone number to authenticate to something and verify. It's not worth the 50 bucks to risk it. And then the per- the scammer said, it's just verify. And Larry said, nope. <laughs> they right. said, not anything. And Larry said, bye. Right. <laughs> so uh, I just think this is worth sharing because it's a good example an exact example of what they'll do here. This scammer was trying to pass off the six-digit code as being some sort of verification, uh, you know, of of the uh, the authenticity of Larry himself. Of course, there's nothing right. to do with that. Yes, I like to think when I think about these kind of things, I think about what's the data behind this activity. Does this scammer have Larry's information? Does he know one of his email accounts or something? Mm. Um, Where's he trying to, who's going to be sending him the code? Right. It would have been interesting for Larry to say, okay, send me the code to see what the guy was going to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not give him the code. By God, don't give him the code. Uh, And I wouldn't recommend anybody who isn't a cybersecurity expert like Larry uh, to to try this. Just do what Larry did here. (laughs) What what Larry did is the safest course of action. It's funny you mentioned this, but I did (laughs) see someone uh, also on Twitter earlier this week who said that when this happens to them, they send the scammer just a random string of six digits right. and string them along. Yeah. And then when they say, that didn't work, they say, oh, I'm so sorry. I must have reversed a couple of numbers. And they send them the same string of digits with two numbers reversed. Right. And, of course, that doesn't work either. And, yeah. And they just, as long as they can. Keep they wasting just, their time. Yeah, keep wasting their time. And that's so. fine. If, you, if you're okay <laughs> with doing that, that's okay. That's, yeah. It, you know, you got to understand, though, these guys are criminals and they do have your contact information. Right. So be careful. They're probably more experienced at this exchange than you are. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, my other story this week comes from the folks over at CyberScoop. Uh, this is uh, a, an article written by A.J. Vickens or Vicens. I'm not sure how the, they pronounce their name there. But uh, this is about a phishing scheme that's targeting Mideast researchers using what they call a herd mentality approach to dupe victims. Mm. And basically what's what's going on here is that uh, they will loop their victim into a conversation on, in, onto an email chain, and the email chain looks as though it's been going on for a while now. I see. So there will be several messages back and forth between authorities, experts, people that the victim may be familiar with, you know, right. pretending to be those sorts of people. And so the notion is that when the victim gets looped into this email chain— they start reading through it and they say, oh, okay, there's, obviously, if someone else is responding to this, it must be legitimate. Yeah. Uh, and that's where the this notion of it being a herd mentality comes in. Yeah, it's the bandwagon approach. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, but, of course, there's nothing to it. And ultimately what they're trying to lead people to is some sort of credential harvesting uh, situation. So this particular case, they seem to be targeting people in the Middle East and in, in government, uh, uh, I believe, uh, particularly in Albania. Um, but, you know, these things don't stay in one part of the world for no, long. So this, 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 tech, <laughs> this technique will come out and you'll be seeing these. Uh, I don't know how you protect against yourself, uh, protect yourself against these, except for, uh, you know, being mindful of what your state is in terms of being logged into something. Right. Right. And I just say that, it, you know, consider it a red flag. If you right. suddenly get looped into a pre-existing conversation like this, make sure you do your due diligence. Check the email addresses. Check, you know, don't don't reply in the thread. Reach out to people individually who may right. be involved and just, 
you know. Yeah, this is a good, this is going to be a highly effective technique. Yeah. Especially, I can see if like halfway down the email chain, you put a link to a document mm-hmm. that just harvest, that is a credential harvesting site. Right. You know, and then bam, Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. All right. Well, those are my stories this week. What do you have for us, Joe? Dave, my story comes from Naked Security, uh, and Paul Ducklin mm. has a story uh, or a blog post, I guess, about a new technique called browser in the browser attack. Hmm. Uh, and it's really, really clever and really simple. Okay. But basically what it is, is you can take images that look like the windows that are on your computer and load them into a browser and make it look like there is another window inside the browser window. Hmm. So Paul has some uh, really good examples in here. Uh, he puts, he has this example domain that he puts a, uh, a just a, some simple HTML in, right? And then he goes ahead and he puts in a couple of images on the top and shows you what it looks like. Hmm. And the most convincing part of these things is that if I'm putting up something that looks like the top of your browser, I control what that image is and I can control what you see and what you may think is the URL. Oh, I see. Right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it has all the different little buttons on it that make it look, in, in this case, it's it's imitating an Apple, uh, uh, you know, an I, uh, what is it, not OS X. iOS is the mobile one, but OS X. It's imitating OS X. And, um, Mac, Mac OS. Mac OS. Is that what it's called now? Yeah, hasn't been... It was never OS X. It was OS 10. OS 10. <laughs> well, sorry, Dave. I'm, I don't go to the cult meetings, so. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, so it looks like Mac OS, but it's inside of a browser. Now, if you remember last week, I was talking about a phishing campaign that Jeffrey Aptel uh, had uncovered. It was actually kits, phishing kits mm-hmm. that were attacker in the middle. Yeah. Now, if I pair this with this browser in the browser attack, right? And I make the the middle screen just like an iframe or whatever it is, a div in HTML that loads up something that looks like your Office 365 page. Mm-hmm. And I put in the browser in the browser window, the picture that I'm going to show you, just the URL to your Office 365. This becomes what I would imagine to be a very effective attack because now I look at the URL, the URL looks right, even though it's just a picture. And I look at the, uh, the the page, and the page is actually the page being served to me via a proxy. So I don't have any idea unless I look at the outer window and the URL in the outer window and see that there is something else. But my eye may never even go there. Right. I may go up and look at the URL and stop right there and go, this looks good. Mm-hmm. It is uh, – it, these attacks are getting much more sophisticated. Uh, there is a comment from someone named Alexander on the uh, who who makes a very good observation. He says, "I can imagine this becoming very sophisticated, having it detect your browser and operating system, and adapting the pictures to that." Oh, yeah. uh, so I think that's a really good observation because when you send your browser string, it tells the web server what operating system you're you're getting, right? And that lets the web server serve out. The right it used to let the web server serve out the right kind of content. Well, web servers can still do that. Now we use HTML5, which is supposed to be more standardized, right? Yeah. Uh, but you can still key off the browser string that you receive, the information the web server receives, and send out the right content. So I can send out Windows content to Windows users, and 
Mac content to Mac OS users. Right. And even iOS content to iOS users and Android content to Android users. Yeah. I could do all that. Um, and uh, Alexander goes on to say, though it would be more difficult to do it against Linux users due to its UI diversity, um, <laughs> which is true because right. when you use Linux, you you could be using any number of desktops and they all look subtly different or different. They all look different enough to be noticeable. Yeah. Uh, but I took a look at the, uh, the operating systems that are used worldwide, and this comes from statcounter.com. Close to 80%, 75% of uh, desktop operating systems worldwide use Windows. Okay. Uh, so if you're not going to do dynamic HTML for this and, and, and just not key off thing, I mean, you're going to have to do some kind of dynamic HTML. But if you're just not going to key off the browser string, your best target is Windows, followed by Mac OS at 16%. Mm-hmm. And then Linux is all the way down there at like 2%. Yeah. How many people do you know that run Linux on their desktop, Dave? Uh, I think I'm looking at him. No, I I, I use Windows. <laughs> I use don't you Windows. have some Linux stuff at home? I do. I have a Linux okay. computer, but I don't. You know, I I use it for when I need a Linux computer. Okay, I see. Uh, the only person I know who runs Linux as their primary desktop is my daughter. She, oh, she okay. runs Linux. She's the one. She's the one. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> okay. You know what this reminds me of? This um, there's an old practical joke. Where if someone leaves their computer unlocked, oh, yes. you take a screen capture of their desktop, yeah. and then you hide everything on the desktop, and yes. you, you make you make the screen capture the desktop image. We did that several times. <laughs> so now what happens is when this person comes back to their computer, they try to click on things, and nothing works because they're not actually icons. They're, it's just an image. I'll tell a great story about this. I'll, I'll be the judge of that. Well, Go on. We were, we were, <laughs> when I was working— uh, we were doing SETI at home and running it on our computers, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that had a uh, a client that had a screensaver, and it would show you all the things it was doing in analysis. Right. And every now and then there'd be a peak, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, in the – you could also run – you could also look at it while it was not in screensaver mode, and it would be like a little client that looked very similar. Yeah. So I took a screenshot of mine when there was a peak and drew an arrow to it. And put up a fake window that said, you have found an extraterrestrial signal. Please call this number immediately. <laughs> and I hear the guy, I go and put it on his screen, his desktop, and I hear the guy call, right? Because it's just some number to some ridiculous line. And oh, okay. It, it wasn't your, some, I figured you would have made it your phone. You could have <laughs> oh, answered the phone and great. said, Thanks, hello, Dave. Carl Sagan here. Uh, <laughs> where, were, where were you 20 years ago when yeah. I was doing this? <laughs> okay. But, but he... Uh, he calls the number and he's and he's like, what? And he hangs up and mm. then I start laughing. I'm ha ah, ha ha, you fell yeah. for it. Oh uh, yeah. And then <laughs> and then he replaced my uh <laughs> he replaced my screensaver with the assistant turtles blue screen of death screensaver. <laughs> nice turnabout is fair play. He, yeah. yeah. I actually called tech support because I didn't understand what was going ah, on. Ah, <laughs> very good. See? He got the upper hand. He got me back, dude. <laughs> all right. Well, those are our stories. We will have links to all of them in the show notes, of course. Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Our catch of the day comes from Peter, who writes another fun one. Dave, this one has it all. (laughs) Okay. Well, shall I read it then? Yes, you should. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, So this comes from the International Remittance Department, First Bank Nigeria, PLC. Mm -hmm. We're not even too... Two sentences in, and the red flags are right. going off. Yep. Uh, 35, Asaba House, Lagos, Nigeria, and then uh, the email address is a Gmail account. So 
Right. There you go. That makes sense. <laughs> FirstBankNigeria at gmail.com. Sure. What, yeah, that makes total sense. That's what they have. They, they use Gmail over at that national bank in Nigeria. Oh. It is a real bank, by the way. <laughs> okay. So it goes like this. Dear beneficiary, this letter is written to you in order to change your life from today. <laughs> I am Reverend Ashi Ashi, the director international, the remittance department of this bank. My boss, Mr. Jacobs, the managing director and CEO of this bank, is now on compulsory leave and all power has been vested on me to make all international payments. Also, due to reported cases of corrupt practices in other Nigerian banks, including the Central Bank of Nigeria, the federal government has revoked or canceled all power vested on these banks and has appointed our bank, First Bank of Nigeria, to make all foreign payments. <laughs> Be informed that the federal government have approved the release of part payment of 7.5 million... 7.5... <laughs> this is so bad... The release of part payment of $7,500,000 out of your total funds, which has been in this bank for many years unclaimed because my boss, Mr. Jacobs, collaboration with the government of Central Bank of Nigeria, have refused to tell you the truth on how to claim your fund. This is because he has been using the interest accumulated from your fund every year to enrich himself without your knowledge. I want to help you pull out this fund to your bank account using the easiest and the quickest method which has not been made known to you before. By this method, you will open a domiciliary account with this bank, First Bank Nigeria. Your fund would be lodged into this domiciliary account and your fund will be paid directly to any bank of your choice. After the transfer, you will confirm the funds in your bank account within five hours the same day. No cost of transfer and no stoppage from any government department as the transfer will be done with the bank alone, and it's very safe. <laughs> the method which was introduced to you before is the telegraphic transfer, for which confirmation was 48 hours. Because of the time factor, petitions could come from various organizations stopping your payment and asking you to pay a huge fee, which would be difficult for you to pay, so they can benefit from the huge interest your fund generates while still in the bank. <laughs> This method is not safe for you because it's not done within the bank alone as information of the payment would be sent to the General Control Unit of the Federal Ministry of Finance and the Office of the Accountant General of the Federation. As a good Christian, I have nothing to gain by keeping your fund. Uh -huh. I want to assist you receive your fund before my boss resumes office. You have to follow up and work with me now, so keep this very confidential because mm -hmm. of fraudsters and imposters who go about presenting various bank accounts in order to divert another beneficiary's fund. Note, your transfer code is FBXNZ7XX5M. You must keep it confidential to avoid intruders or claims by anyone so that I do not transfer your fund to the wrong bank account. Finally, I ask for your mutual understanding and cooperation to serve you better. Yours truly, Reverend Ashi Ashi. <laughs> so in this thing, it, it didn't bore them with the details, but it asked for all this kind of personal information here. Yeah. Uh, and you're supposed to fill that out. But this thing has the appeal to religion. <clears throat> yep. It's a reverend. He's a good Christian. He's yeah. going to help you. He's not a reverend. And if he is a good Christian, if he is a Christian, he's not a good Christian. He's trying to steal money. Um, <laughs> the boss is out of town and we've all lost our minds. <laughs> right. He has the boss is out of town. We all lost our minds, <laughs> right. which is great. Right. Um, you know, I it's the, the social engineering one-two punch. You have a problem. I have a solution. Yeah. Uh, this, this is... A fantastic catch of the day. Yeah. It just has everything in here. Yeah. Well, our thanks to Peter for sending that in. Uh, we would love to hear from you. If you have something you'd like us to consider for the show, you can send it to hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. Hacking Humans.
All right, Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Jane Lee. She is the trust and safety architect at SIFT. And our conversation centers on this practice we've, we've touched on here before, and that is pig butchering. Here's my conversation with Jane Lee. Romance scams are not anything new. So I think pig butchering scams are an elevated, I don't want to say elevated because I think that gives them too much credit, but it's basically romance scam on steroids. And um, so it combines like old traditional elements of romance scams with the, you know, the new allure of crypto. Mm. <laughs> Something for everyone, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, before we dig into the specifics of pig butchering, just real quick, can you give us a, a little 101 on romance scams? Yeah, sure. So romance scams are basically these um, scams where the uh, scammer is matching with their victim or they're first connecting with their targets via social any sort of social media or social social platform. And right now we are seeing with the rise of online dating app usage, they are focusing on dating apps, but really, you know, they could exist on Facebook. I saw them during my time when I was at Facebook, they can um, message you on Instagram, TikTok. So any platform that has a messaging capability, uh, they, they are there. And so when we get to pig butchering, which is, as you say, is, is kind of a, an amplified version of this, can you walk us through exactly what happens? Yeah, and sorry, I, I just realized I, I didn't answer your question completely. So I explained romance scans where they, they meet their victims initially and how it initially starts off is they, um, they start overwhelming their targets or their love interests um, with compliments, promises of gifts, you know, the words that every person wants to hear from someone that they are intimately close with. Um, and then it leads to manipulation. You know, they start talking about financial freedom or, hey, um, with the traditional romance scammers, they'll, they'll um, make up some sort of sob story about either them being stuck in a country or, you know, they have a, a child that needs medical expenses covered. And so that is where um, I think the line with traditional romance scams is drawn. Now with pig butchering, you have all those elements of romance scams where ultimately the scammer is trying to get the, the target to send them some sort of money. But with pig butchering, what makes it a little more unique is that, um, well, one, the preferred currency is cryptocurrencies. Um, and then two, the technical sophistication of the bad actors. And so they actually have a fake crypto trading platform where they direct their targets to. It mimics you know, your traditional or very common um, mainstream, I'll say mainstream crypto platforms. Um, you know, if you were to cross check the the prices that are displayed on this fake fake platform, um, they will all check out. But of course, the platform is 100% controlled by them. They manipulate, you know, your return on investment and, and such. And so that is what makes this the amplified version of the the traditional romance scam. And how much time are they investing in their victims here generally? Yeah. Um, so the thing about this particular scam is it. Um, I think when I outline, you know, the step-by-step -step process and what goes on, people find it hard to believe because, because when you lay out all the facts, you know, it, it's kind of obvious what's going on, but these scams take months. So I've heard one to three months, my undercover investigation, I think I, I said, I started in about, uh, around 
October of 2021 and wrapped up in January of 2022. Mm -hmm. And so that is about four months. Um, So yeah, they, they really take the time to develop these trustworthy, loving, intimate relationships with their targets um, over the course of, of months, I would say. Well, can you walk us through the process when you went undercover, as you say, what exactly went on there? Yeah. So what I did was I, um, I, I mentioned uh, this a little bit, but we at SIFT, we have a network of dating app customers of social um, media platforms. And so we first detected this as an anomaly, um, something that kind of stood out as abnormal. And, you know, this is where a little bit of my private life experience comes into play. But when I saw this as the occasional dating app user myself, I quickly recognized, hey, I've seen these accounts before. These look very familiar. I've seen them on the apps. You know, I couldn't really put my finger on on what exactly it was. And then when I looked into it, I I realized it was actually a very prevalent problem. And so what I did was I downloaded every single dating app um, or major dating app on the app stores. And then um, I'm just genuinely a curious person. What I wanted to know was what they were doing, how they were getting this money. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I matched with a scammer who became my scammer boyfriend. And you know, kind of baited him into giving me the step-by-step process that they were uh, leading their victims to. Is there anything in particular that you did to attract their attention? You know, is there, are there particular attributes that they're looking for? Yeah, I think they are trying to catch their widest net. Um, And so I really didn't have to do much. My existence on the dating apps was enough to come across them. And um, these scammers are known to have what I, I like to call a 100% swipe rate, meaning they are matching with 100% of whoever they can. They're just trying to match with whoever will kind of entertain them or give them a, even a chance. And so, you know, there wasn't really anything specific that I did. I kind of knew the type of profile that I was looking for because they all have this similar type of either picture or job title or, you know, their profiles feel the same. And whenever there's so much of the same thing, especially in like the online fraud world, I think it warrants a second look. Hmm. So yeah, there was nothing in particular I did. Um, I just had to match with one of them. Mm -hmm. And so once you engage with uh, this, for this person, um, what are some of the, the outstanding things that happen along the way? Yeah, I think the, obviously I knew what I was getting myself into, but you know, something that I did not expect, um, you know, I, I talked about love bombing and that really intense moving fast fastness, like the, the relationship just really picking up and, um, you know, them just overwhelming me with compliments. I did not expect, uh, this is a funny way to put it, but like my heart to flutter, you know? And, Mm, and mm -hmm. so the, the individual on the other end, you know, was promising me, Hey, a a trip to Osaka to see the cherry blossoms. Another individual was, um, you know, promised to send me a $25,000 bottle of wine. Another told me how beautiful I was. And, you know, it's just things that people want to hear. Everyone wants to be told that they're wanted and, and beautiful. It's a very natural human desire. And so, even me knowing what I was getting myself into 
and who I was interacting with, at least loosely what I was getting myself into, I felt something, you know, it sounds silly, but, um, you know, you had to blush a little bit and I did not expect that. Yeah. That's what I would say. It was, was the most unexpected thing. Yeah, I think that's a really fascinating point and an important point because, you know, we, we often talk about, uh, hear about how um, this can happen to anyone, that there's there's no shame in finding yourself having fallen victim to this. And I think what you're saying kind of speaks to that, that you know, no one is immune to being human. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I... I think it's so important, I, I, you know, as we get this story out and we share about it, I think a lot of, a lot more victims are, I think typically victims are people that have been targeted by these scammers. They are ashamed. There's that shame factor to it, but I think there's an empowerment in getting the story out as well. And then you relate to other people that have fallen victim and, you know, give them the empowerment to to come forward with it. The other thing that I really emphasize is how, how long these scams play out for and they're really mm. playing on a, a a human vulnerability or a desire a natural human desire right to feel wanted to feel loved which makes the scam so believable um and then lastly you know at sift we release a quarterly index report and um as part of the most recent report that came out we uh we actually conducted a consumer survey um, and conducted that research. And we found that I think it's something like over 40 or 50% of millennials and Gen Z have encountered this type of scam. And so I think the, the misconception is that maybe, you know, older people that are not as tech savvy are more vulnerable to this type of scam, but it really, you know, it really impacts everybody. Was there ever a point along the way where you felt as though maybe they were on to you? Um, I don't, I hope not. I don't think so. <laughs> Hard I, I to did, say. Yeah, I hope not. But I did, you know, take extra precautions, you know, in using a, a VoIP number and, you know, something that would be harder for them to, to trace. Um, right. I also, because I knew I was trying to get information out of the process, I was careful not to give in too soon, if that makes sense. And so mm-hmm. my scammer, I call him my scammer boyfriend, but, you know, I did not buy in when he first mentioned crypto investments to me. It, eventually, the, the conversation always comes to how financially successful they are, how they have financial freedom, things of that sort. And I when they first mentioned it, I kind of was just brushed it off and said, oh, that's cool. You know, didn't really give it much um, attention. Um, mm-hmm. And then eventually as the conversation continued and, you know, weeks had gone by, I finally said, okay, you know, I'm interested. Why don't you tell me more? Um, yeah. So I, I hope not. I don't think so because otherwise I don't think they would have sent me as much information as they did. Right. Yeah. And then, so how far down the path did you go? At what point did you decide to, you know, pull the ripcord? Yeah. So I went as far as, you know, investing in their, their crypto platform. So I did send over a small amount of, of Tether, uh, which is a, a stable coin or yeah, is, was mm-hmm. at the time a stable coin. Um, and 
immediately, you know, of course, I, I mentioned this earlier, they are manipulating all of the values you're seeing. So you, you know, you send the money and then, hey, guess what? In four minutes, you made $10, right? Mm. Uh, and the, the, my scammer boyfriend at that point told me, hey, look, like, look how much you made in the short period of time. You would actually make a lot more money if you were to put in a little more. Why don't you try putting in a thousand? And at that point, you know, I, I think I had enough uh, information that I needed and I was no longer comfortable, you know, giving any more than that. And so that's when I, I kind of just ghosted, ghosted them. Um, right. However, I have heard some victim accounts of them actually being able to withdraw the funds. So, hmm. you know, they put in a little, they're able to withdraw a little. So it's very tangible for them, which is the other added element that makes this so believable because you could actually, you actually are seeing the money at, at some point. And so I think that's another important point to, to drive in when we're talking about why this, this scam is so successful. Yeah. I, I want to ask you, you know, your, your advice on people protecting themselves from this, but I'd love to try to come at it from two directions. I mean, obviously, how do we protect ourselves from falling victim to this? But then also, how do we protect our loved ones? Yeah. So I'll start off with the first one because I think it involves or your your last question because I think it, I, I could kind of bundle my answer up for both. So I think protecting just individuals and our loved ones, uh, This the consumer education piece is is not where I would like it to be or where I think it should be. And so I think it's, you know, I, I said this um, when we when we first got on this um, podcast, but the consumer education piece and things like this podcast, not only is it important to give the victims a voice, we're giving the victims a voice, but also to get, get the message out so that it, it, you know, it prevents one other person at the very least from, from falling for this. Since this story or um, or my research came out publicly, I've had friends of friends in my network talking about how they've encountered this. So, um, you know, just continuing to share about it, get the message out. And then for us as individuals, you know, if you feel like you are talking to someone that might potentially be a scammer on the app, um, one move slow, right? What these scammers typically do is they will, within the first day or two, try to get you to move off of the dating app onto an encrypted messaging platform. And the reason why they do is, is they are hedging their risks. So they want to avoid their chances of being caught on the dating app. So they'll say, oh, let's move it over to to WhatsApp. Let's move it mm. over to Telegram. If you're uncomfortable with it, just say, hey, I'd much rather you know stick to this dating app. They will give you all these excuses of, hey, I, I'm trying to reduce my time on this app or, you know, hey, I don't really spend much time using the app. Um, but, you know, stand up for yourself. And, and if you feel more comfortable sticking to the app, say so. Uh, secondly, if you are conflicted in whether the trading platform that you are dealing with is fake or not, um, because like I said, the, the values on the app actually reflect real va- real-time values of, uh, of cryptocurrency. So if you were to Google, hey, what's the price of Bitcoin right now or Ethereum, it'll check out. I would say most trustworthy apps uh, or crypto platforms are, um, well, one, they're indexed on search engines like Google, um, and they have a presence on the app store. 
Um, like, so mm-hmm. the Apple, Apple store or the Google play store. And so check to see if, if there's, um, there's, they have a presence there. And then, you know, if, if this person then starts asking you for, for more and more investments or to do more and more investments, I, I'd always just say proceed with caution. Um, but I think the, you know, the first two tips of, you know, taking things slow and, checking out or really doing the research on where you're putting your money into. I think um, those are my main two pieces of advice, I would say. Joe, what do you think? Dave, I am enthralled with, I was enthralled listening to this. Hmm. First off, Jane went undercover to investigate this practice. Yeah. This pig butchering practice. Gross name, by the way. Um, it's a term of art that I'll bet came from the people doing it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, these guys are always, these bad guys are always looking to step up their game uh, because the the aim of the scammer is one thing, and it's just more money. Yeah. It's interesting that she says that these, these guys can target you on any platform that has a messaging capability. Hmm. So it's not just dating sites, but... Dating sites are where they start with because this is kind of like a, uh, she called it a romance scam on steroids. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a combination of a romance scam and an investment scam. Do you remember years ago we had the story of the Australian man who was scammed out of his retirement savings hmm. by a somebody posing as an investor uh, investment firm saying we have these investments. And he was putting, he put a small amount of his retirement in there because he'd never heard of these guys. And then they show him a website where his money gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually he transfers all of his money over there. And once they're like, hey, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're looking for more investment. He's like, I'm out of money. That's all my money. And they just shut down and went away. Right. That was it. Right. They got away with a lot of money from that guy. Yeah. Um, it, this is the same thing, except they're doing it with, uh, with crypto. Yeah. When Jane says that if you lay all the facts out, it seems obvious, right? Yeah. That is a great perspective from the outside of the situation, mm-hmm. which is kind of why it's important to have to to have input from other people and to discuss things with other people, to have them go, I think you need to be careful here. <laughs> right. Because I'm an outside observer and here's what I see, right? You might not see them on the inside of this scam. Mm-hmm. And to highlight that point... I want to talk about one of the most remarkable things from this interview, and that is when she was talking about her own emotional response to these scammers' compliments and things of that nature. Yeah. Jane knows that she's dealing with a scammer, and she still gets that heart flutter. Mm-hmm. She experiences this emotional response trying to research bad guys, and if she's doing that while she's doing this research— uh, how how does that? It's it's much more easy to understand why people fall for this. Yeah. Right. Because she's getting the emotional response from someone she knows is a liar. Right. She knows what this guy is. <laughs> right. 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 And if if you don't know that, it's I think it's a lot easier to fall for this. It really points to how much or so much of this is hardwired into us. Yeah. You know. It is. Yeah. These exchanges they use are, are really good. I wouldn't be surprised if there are kits out there that you can buy that do this, mm. right? They mm-hmm. link to some Bitcoin uh, feed that just pr- produces prices. Those feeds are out there, uh, and you could probably just use an API to read a Bitcoin price and get a, an accurate real-time Bitcoin quote uh, and show that on the, on the, on the webpage. Yeah. Uh, it, it looks right with these correct prices. Uh, I love the story she tells about baiting her scammer boyfriend. Uh, she said just being on the app was enough. Hmm. that 
just being there. And, and what did she say? 40% of millennials and Generation Z have gotten these kind of attacks. Wow. So these guys are going after everybody. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that they try to match your profile for 100%. So they, they look at your profile and then they build their profile to match it. And then they reach out to you. So, um, so they're literally too good to be true. Right. Exactly. They're literally too good to be true. You probably won't match a hundred percent with anybody. I mean, there are things that my wife and I will never agree on, right? (laughs) We've been married 20, 27 years, 28 years, a long time, right? 27 years. Um, I like that she actually sent the guy a small amount of money in tether, um, I don't remember if Tether is the one that had that crisis and it became worthless, but uh, she did the research before that happened. Uh, and then the guy says, hey, let's try a thousand. Look how much money you're making. Right. Right. And they even let people withdraw small amounts sometimes. That's, I think that's really clever. Mm-hmm. Um, when Jane is talking, she says, look for the telltale signs that are like a, a quick move to another platform. Dating apps don't want these guys on their platform and the bad guys don't want to get caught and have their account shut down, right? Right, right. Look for fast-moving romance and research the exchange. Um, my advice is learn to recognize the pattern. There's a pattern here in this kind of in this kind of attack, mm-hmm. and it's you start with somebody who matches 100%. They're fast-moving off the data dating platform, right? They uh, tons of compliments and they they want to move the relationship faster. They talk about their financial success with crypto. They make promises of fantastic gifts that never really materialize. I mean, but you would feel like a bad person. You go, hey, where is that $25,000 bottle of wine you promised me? I never got that. <laughs> right, right. Right. I mean, what kind of person says that? Nobody says that. Yeah. Um, uh, they, they sh- they're going to share their success with you and try this exchange. It's a new exchange. We just started it. Mm-hmm. Right? All these things match up to a pattern that is, that, that is what this scam is. Uh, and I think that pattern recognition, that's something humans are really good at. So when you start seeing these things, or if somebody starts pointing this out to you, you need to be receptive of it. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, these guys are going to try to isolate you, right? Because it's also part romance scam. They're going to say, your friend is jealous of our happiness, right? Right. right. They're going to say all kinds of terrible things like that to try to keep you away from your friends so that they can keep you away from your money. Um, I think this was uh, a fascinating interview. I'm really glad that we had Jane on the show. Yeah. It's awesome. Absolutely. Well, again, our thanks to Jane Lee for taking the time. We do appreciate uh, her joining us. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.